0: Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2022. My name is Amato, he, him, and with me are...
1: Tori, they, them, and... Tarin. Oh, Tarin, he, him.
0: That was a test, Tarin, and you failed.
1: Sorry, I've been doing the and for guests lately, but I, I, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no. My,
0: my first failure... That's novel. Well, what I what I meant was you were supposed to say, and I'm cute.
2: Yeah, um, I, I considered it, actually. But, um, you know, got to be honest on this podcast, you know.
1: <laughs> and I was trying to think of a, a take on my name that would sound like Yakko, Wacko, or Dot, and all I got was Taco. <laughs> and I decided against it. I mean, I think <laughs>
0: Wacko would be happy to have you in the group.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: So yeah, um, I feel like there's something else we could have done clever with names, but that's okay. We don't need to be clever, which is good because I only intermittently am. But we are talking about Animaniacs and some other stuff today. Thanks for joining us, Taran. You're welcome. I understand you rewatched some Animaniacs before this. I did. Um,
2: So I didn't watch a lot of it growing up um, because I was so sheltered that I didn't get any of the pop culture references whatsoever. So it seemed like just a random oh, yeah. mishmash of non sequiturs to me for the longest time. Yeah, but I rewatched it in, in preparation, a lot of
1: it, and it is really good. To be fair, I was just thinking about this. So Mr. Director is a take on the comedian Jerry Lewis from what, like the 40s or 50s? So a lot of these references weren't something we would have understood as kids in the 90s anyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I go back to it and I'm like, yeah, well, particularly the fingerprints joke stands out because, like, even if you knew who Prince was, you weren't going to get that reference (laughs) as a child, I hope. Oh, yeah. I had the same experience. Clearly, we're
0: moving into talking about each of our experiences here. It's like, I liked Animaniacs, but I did not understand half the jokes. And, you know, I just saw it. Intermittently, and just had to accept that, like, here's some things that I guess are funny, and I mean, it's clearly very clever, and I just have no idea what they're talking about.
2: Yeah, the things I found relatable in the 90s, um, for like the slapstick or whatever, are my least
0: favorite things now, um, which I guess makes sense. Uh, my most favorite thing will always be chicken boo, though. That's something you could have done, you could have just made some clucking noises your name introduction and we could have figured out that you were a giant chicken and then you could have left this recording in shame
1: i'll start it over you know <laughs> no no now no one will know that Tarin is a giant chicken right <laughs> keep it a secret exactly.
0: turn off your camera that um,
2: the chicken boo lingered lingers for me as it was my favorite part then and it
0: actually is still my favorite they're my favorite um yeah it's that type of humor where it's so stupid that when they just keep doing it, it's hilarious.
2: Yeah, is there a name for that? Like, like y- you know you're being, like, kind of taken advantage of that you liked it once, and like now they're like, oh, you'll like it again. We'll just do the exact same thing.
0: And you should get bored with it. Right, because you, you know how it's going to go down basically every single time.
1: Yeah, but like repetition, we've talked about this before, is a big part of humor. You repeat it, you know, a handful of times and you're like, okay, okay, okay. But then you keep repeating it after that point and it becomes funny again for some reason. Because you're just like, ah, yep, they're gonna do it again. I don't something about the expectation. I don't even know.
2: I wonder if it's also sort of enhanced in Animaniacs specifically, because it's so like it's so self- a, a wearily zany, like it just tries to mess with your expectations in a lot of ways. Um, and then when when you get the weird inverted boy cries wolf where the person at the beginning of a chicken boo sketch is like, it's a chicken, I tell you, it's a giant chicken, and no one believes them. But then everyone finds out at the end of like three minutes that he was a giant chicken all along. It's like, ah, oh.
0: And I think the other spice that makes Chicken Boo work is the pathos.
1: Mm-hmm. it's yeah. true. There's, a, I think good humor always has an element of, yeah, pathos or sadness or, you know, something.
0: Yeah, because who can't relate? Like, all, all he wants is to, like, just be this respected person in the town, and he's got this secret that comes out. And the, the joke is that it should be immediately obvious to everybody that he's a giant chicken. But the sadness is that, like, you know, he he was doing he was like a very respected sheriff or whatever. Right.
2: And and like there's always someone who like really believes that he's a human and hates all the like all the accusers. And you're like, oh, wow, this chicken boo has a real like supporter here.
0: Of course, chicken boo features heavily in what we're about to talk about. (laughs) I was so sad chicken boo did not show up in this fanfic.
1: Yeah, not at all, though they really pull um, a lot of characters. Well, we are talking about an Animaniacs-Akira crossover. Yeah. And they pull a lot of characters, but not chicken. So Akira,
0: of course, is the extremely influential, like, era-defining anime movie with very, very cool animation. And I definitely saw it, like, you know, you, you heard about it when you got into anime and you went and saw it and you were like, wow, that was amazing. And then you remember, like, the first 10 minutes of it and selected other minutes from it and forget everything Mm -hmm. else about it. Uh, That's, I think, the universal anime fan in our generation experience. Am I correct?
1: Sounds right to me. Even as I went to rewatch it um, yesterday, I didn't make it all the way through. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, there's all these parts I forgot.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I I think you remember specific character story arcs to a little, to some extent, like Tetsuo, right? Oh, yeah. Obviously. Mm -hmm. And then you remember the end's kind of trippy yeah. and sad a little bit, maybe.
0: Or maybe the whole thing is sad. Just, like, some of the most striking visuals. It's like, I may not remember have remembered everything that led up yeah. to it, but, like, the doll scene, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't remember everything that led up to it, but the last... I was going to say that. Yeah, you remember the visuals. Tarn, you were saying, like, the ending scene with, like, the body horror. I remember that because some of the visuals are just so striking and, of course, well animated that, like... I may not remember what the government was up to or anything about how they get between those major scenes, but dang if it's like if parts of it don't stick in your head forever,
2: yeah, for sure. um my experience though uh in addition, was when I was getting into anime and I would talk to my dad's like gamer friends who were not generally into anime and if I mentioned something anime wise they'd be like. Oh, I know about Akira. Like they knew about the movie, and and that made anime much more acceptable and less like childish to them, because they were aware of this Japanese animated movie, which they really, you know, thought was really cool and really well animated. Again, for 1988, like I, I guess animation has been pretty. Japanese animation has been really good for a long time, but like even w- watching it again now, like, and it's over 30 years old it's it's just super pretty
0: well i think the thing there is that you know animation all over the world could get very very pretty depending on how much money you were willing to throw at it right and so it's just when you get these occasional projects where it's like they put a lot of money into this to like hire the animators to draw like all the cells you know you get some really impressive things And, Mm -hmm. um, because we've moved away from cell animation, you rarely get that same kind of just like impressive, even the high budget things, you don't get the same kind of just like artistic prowess
1: being flexed on screen as much anymore. For sure. And not to be too much of a nerd about it, but yeah, we started introducing digital shortcuts to animation in the early nineties. And so Akira, you know, in Japan, it's a little bit different. But, like, one of my favorite movies animation-wise of all time is 101 Dalmatians, made in the 60s. But you have to imagine all those artists drawing all of those dogs in those scenes just perfectly. I think that's what makes it so beautiful. Nowadays, we just use a digital shortcut. And and more and more, that's been the case. And all that animation can't be pretty that way, it's just, like, some of those last tail-end, hand-drawn things When they put in, like you said, Amato, the time, the effort, and the budget—mostly the budget—to it are so gorgeous. But you don't get those as often because before those digital shortcuts, it was, it was just so much, you know. Yeah, I've seen One Hundred
0: and One Dalmatians less recently than Lady and the Tramp, but watching Lady and the Tramp, and like you know, knowing what I know as an adult about the Disney studio and like how they did things, I you know, I definitely had the mind blow moment where I was like, "Dang." some character animators watched a lot of videos of dogs moving mm-hmm. and, like, yes, studied how yes. dogs move for a long time so they could execute this,
1: and it's Which crazy. is great, because when I was doing my comic about dogs, I studied 101 Dalmatians. It was like, like <laughs> you know, I, instead of studying... I mean, I also watched a lot of dogs moving, but I was like, instead of having to do all that work, I could, like, play and pause this movie where someone else had done that work, and it was awesome. Okay, that's totally off-topic. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're getting off-topic. It's true. So, yeah, the fanfic, it's called...
0: How do you pronounce it? Is it Akati? Is that what we're supposed to say? right? Oh, it's Akati. Of course it's Akati. Jeez, I... Because going into it, I thought that somehow it was supposed to be Akita combined with Pinky, even though that doesn't make sense in the context of the story. And so in my head, I was just kind of confused about how I was supposed to be saying that, like, up until the end. Of course it's Akati. Okay So the fanfics called a Katie, and I got it off of this list that I keep going back to by random internet person Hyru, which they wrote in 2009, called 20 Good Fanfics. And this has come up before. What a great introduction,
1: random (laughs) internet person.
0: (laughs) I mean, I don't know anything about them. Like, you know, they've written some fanfics, random, you know, fanfic author, but... And of course, I love this list. When we first got into this podcast, because this person recommended stories that were old from a variety of genres, including stuff that I've never, I'd never heard of. So things like Dire Fates, which was the oh my god, it's Hellblazer crossover, I had read. Things like um, Sailor Moon Forty Two Hundred is like on the top of my favorite fanfic lists at all, which is like you know, which definitely got their chops in about like why I trusted their judgment. Secondary characters also we haven't done. And then we've also done, off of this list, Brainy's Glasses, which is the Smurfs fanfic. The Trollin' Trilogy, which is the... um, What do you call it? He-Man. Uh, He-Man and Master of the Universe one. Very Secret Diary by Arabella, which is the Chamber of Secrets one. Um, one or two others, I want to say. Um, we've done quite a few things off of this list. And at the very bottom of it is... A Katie. And the thing is... In their description of this story... <laughs> They really don't have like resounding praise. Did both of you read like their description there? Nope. Yep. Yeah. It's kind of a mixed review on this wreck list that this person was themselves setting up, which was interesting. Um, but just the fact that it is an Animaniacs Acura fusion was like, okay, we're gonna read that at some point. Just like the CSI Charlie and the Chocolate Factory one, it's like, okay, we have to read that. I need to see what it's about.
2: Yeah. And in those description, the first line has final or sentences, finally we come to this curiosity. And it's like, yeah, that, that sums it up. Like,
0: yeah, <laughs>
2: it, it's an interesting idea. Mesh animaniacs with like this super heralded dark, like cyberpunk anime that is extremely well respected across the world.
0: Well, here's the reason why it feels like it should be able to work, is because Animaniacs often did parodies of very specific things, usually with a smaller subset of characters like the Rita and the Runt Les Miserables or the like. Good Feathers um, uh, Fiddler on the Roof or the Good Feathers Godfather. Wait, no, they, they, do a, they had the God Pigeon, but like, they didn't do a Godfather parody specifically. It's mostly Goodfellas. But, well, it's mostly Goodfellas, but I know, but they did like some specific movie things. I remember Pigeon on the Roof. I feel like there was another one I'm trying to remember. Uh, did they do like a West Side Story? I don't know. Um. This is Probably. like in Animaniacs' wheelhouse, more or less. But what I was expecting was an Animaniacs-style parody of Akira. And what I got was Akira recast with the Animaniacs' characters, which is a very different thing
1: yes it, it even so deep in that it's in universe for animaniacs like and we'll get to that but it still has all of like the jokes all over the place because what else are you gonna do with these characters it it feels tonally animaniacs but tells the story of akira basically
2: <laughs> yeah um I expected something much, much more Animaniacs. Right. I thought it would be like 80% anim- anim- Animaniacs, 20% Akira. And it was the opposite. It was mm-hmm. Animaniacs characters shoehorned into Akira with like, like two exceptions. One <laughs> like at the end, which finally like, made me think okay well that's different like that's not just pinky being tetsuo that's that's good you know um but otherwise it was like a a little bit more jokey but still in parts like exactly as dark as akira which is kind of strange
1: yeah you're right i said it was totally animaniacs what i mean by that is that everyone's still making jokes all the way through but if you look at the bare bones of the plot, there's actually a lot of pathos. It's, But even when things are dramatic, you know, and people are crying, um, it's still somehow a bit of a joke. It's just, yeah, you can't ignore the fact that this is really very serious stuff that is happening. Well, let's jump into the specifics.
0: There's a few more details I need to give. It was written by Michael K. Naylan, who was the person who ran one of the big fan fiction MSTing's websites back in the day, uh, website number nine. And I believe, um, and the fanfic is, it was written in 1996. And it was hosted on a personal website, which is now gone, but it's available by Wayback Machine and just, you know, plain text file. And that's how we read it. And I'll be providing the links to the Wayback Machine in the show notes so you don't have to do that research yourself. Um, it's in seven parts and it's script format and it was not proofread, which is, you know, immediately obvious in like the second line when the author misspells the word ambitious. And I don't want to like get on his case about that. It's just kind of like it's part of the the feel of the kind of fan fiction we're talking about here.
2: Definitely. Um, it's definitely a this has not been edited by someone other than the author feel of a fanfic.
1: Yeah, this is something that has come up before for me because I like to put things into my e-reader. So spelling mistakes become really way more obvious. And I'm not, I've already said this many times. I'm not criticizing the author for spelling mistakes, whatever, But but it does draw your attention to certain words. For instance, the word debris is used very, very frequently. And you notice because it's misspelled derbis fairly often. And again, like there's so many reasons why people like have difficulty with spelling. Like dyslexia is one of them and like so many reasons. So I mean, that's not a criticism. The main thing is there is a lot of word repetition of particular words. <laughs> Can I give a quick example? Yes. Um There, are,
2: I, I noticed this, uh, there's this series of dialogue between two characters about Pinky, and it reads like this, I need to find Pinky, there's no knowing what those men can do to them, to him and then, oh, you're no fun I'm going back to lab to wait for Pinky and then, whatever I need to think of a plan to rescue Pinky and it's like (laughs) Mm -hmm. man, that's using (laughs) Pinky
0: like a lot, you know
1: yeah, they could have used an editor that's the main thing, just just a, a proof pass, you know
0: Right. And, and so this is definitely the feel of a fanfic that someone thought would be a funny idea, hammered out and put online, which is clearly exactly what happened. And as always, just the fact that someone had an idea, executed it and put it online, I feel like is more than I probably would have done. So like we cannot be too hard on the person.
2: And that's it, um, exactly what I did. So, you know,
0: when you were a fanfic mm-hmm. author. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, and, and you know, this is uh, yeah, very complete work and just actually really amusing. <laughs> Well, let's jump into the first chapter because I feel like
0: I was I was really enjoying it for the first chapter. Um, when a lot of stuff is kind of set up and it makes the kind of jokes that I would expect this kind of thing to do and they're pretty funny. Like it starts off with the big explosion from the beginning of Akira, like the sphere of destruction over Burbank and then it fades away and the city's completely untouched. And you've got a Skippy and Slappy squirrel voiceover gag where Skippy asks what happens and Slappy says, oh, that was just Tony Dance's career exploding. And I thought that was all hilarious and totally on point where like they're undercutting the like really memorable visual gag from Akira. They're making a joke about a celebrity that I don't understand in the slightest. I was just <laughs> like, yes, this is Akira. I mean, sorry, this is Animaniac stuff.
2: Yeah, especially because in in Akira, like we see an explosion for like seven seconds and like you only f- sort of figure out what that was by the end of Akira. Like, it's really, really important. In this case, it's, it has no bearing on the plot of this Which is great. Forever.
1: Yeah, that's a really good... I didn't even think of that. I kind of had the opposite experience of you, Amato. I was not that into this at first. I was like, I get what they're doing. It's definitely Akira, and it's definitely Animaniacs' jokes, particularly Tony Danza's career exploit. I know who Tony Danza is, sort of. I don't. And uh, the, the he was the the most uh he, he was popular like sitcom actor in the 90s but an 80s maybe yeah hold yep. me closer tony dance yeah thank you Tar <laughs> and and then we get you know
0: a lead into like the um you know the motorcycle gang scene and it is very clear like we, we, we learn immediately that our tetsuo and our Kaneda. Are Pinky and the Brain, which is also pretty funny because you have the mental image of them riding on like full-size motorcycles, but they've got like adapters so that like they can you know sit like on their tiny little mouse bodies up there. Um, In the larger sense, it the only real reason to make them Kaneda and Tetsuo is because there's two of them. Like that's really about it, I think. Like no, I I guess there's the experimenting on them aspect. I mean, you know, because they're lab
2: mice. There's that. There's, I mean. If you thought of Pinky as having some super subconscious inferiority complex with the brain, like, it would also make sense in that way. And lampooning that idea also would make sense. I think in Animaniacs and in the, like, the sequel series of Pinky and the Brain, it's, like, super clear that Pinky just loves Brain. (laughs) And so, like, even though he's, like you you might imagine all sorts of reasons he might feel inferior, like because brain is like super focused and like smart and, you know, whatever, like, um, there's never, it's never an issue between them. Whereas in obviously it's, it's the major like personality, like, um, I don't know what, what you call it. Conflict in Akira. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. But you know, what is so unique about this is that's not really what happens between these characters. Instead, it's a lot more about their friendship. And I find that really interesting because, you know, to keep them in character, Pinky, yeah, never feels that. He just sort of gets um, experimented on. And for some reason, apparently he has an IQ. He just has no uh, high IQ. I mean, he has no focus whatsoever. So unlocking his potential, you know, it means that he can do a lot. And that's kind of the focus because I think we said Pinky is the Tetsuo and Brain is the (laughs) Kaneda in this situation. Um, But it's way more like cute and wholesome in a way because it's about how much Brain wants to rescue Pinky and it's very sweet. Yeah, it's it's not out of character. I feel like if Pinky
0: was in danger, Brain would go try to save him. But it's weird that that's like his his main thing for like most of this mm-hmm. fairly lengthy fanfic. And like, he doesn't even have a tsundere thing going on very much at all. Like he's not even like, Oh, I don't, I don't need pinky pinky was holding me back anyway or whatever. Like, he's just like, Oh no, no pinky.
1: That's what I found so enjoyable about it. And kind of, why I was saying the beginning didn't grip me as much as the end. Cause as you get to the end, it's almost like character development for pinky for the brain, especially for brain. Um, that, you wouldn't expect from Animaniacs, but works at the same time. Cause he even has a, what's amusing is later on, he has to like sort of choke it back. He's like, I have to stop Pinky from taking over the world. And he like, can't stand to say it, you know, but he does anyway.
0: Quick aside. Is it brain or the brain? I think officially it's the brain, but Pinky calls him brain, right? He calls himself the brain in this fanfic,
2: and I just wasn't sure how to feel about it.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and the fanfic is script format, and it has brain, but that could just be shorthand. Hmm. I think everyone else is, calls... Well, actually, Pinky's the only one who calls him brain, because um, what's her name? The lady mouse. Billy, Billy. calls him Eggy. so...
2: um. Yeah. Uh, back to chapter one, though. It actually starts out where we think that brain or the brain is going to like the way that they're going to spoof the movie is the brain's going to set up an elaborate like film production of a movie like Akira. And so that's what I thought the rest of the fanfic was going
0: to be. And then it immediately is not that. Yeah, I mean, that's the stated plan to take over the world here. We get some good Pinky and the Brain dialogue where, like, they're kind of playing the role of, you know, bikers, except they're still Pinky and the Brain. So, like, their initial dialogue is, you know, riding on their big motorcycles. Pinky, the, the note, is really enjoying himself. ha! <laughs> Narf, this is fun, Brain. Concentrate on the road, Pinky. The last thing we want tonight is to be pulled over by the man. The man? Which man is that? Not the man, the man. The cops, the fuzz, the boys in blue, to speak figuratively. The police. Well, if you meant to say the police, why didn't you say the police? Pinky, we are in a neo-society environment, complete with all the elements of a techno-alternative popular culture. Slang is all the rage here. And so that's kind of fun to see brain trying to play a role, and still like in a brain way, and it kind of falls by the wayside later on. And also then he explains that, right, because post-apocalyptic violent biker stuff is popular, they're going to make a movie of that sort that implants a subliminal message in it that causes everyone who watches it to become crazy and the world will fall into violence and he will, you know, rise up and, um, and offer the cure in exchange for world domination.
1: Right. But that didn't happen. Not in the slightest.
0: (laughs) It falls apart. Like they forget about that immediately.
1: They do. That's really interesting. I didn't even think about that. It it's sort of, yeah, it really changes its goal as a especially because what starts to happen, you know, is they start to make it even more in universe like, you know, um well, maybe we'll just wait till we get to the end and we get the info dump from Dot before we go there. Well, the the other we're gonna be skipping over a lot of the middle, I think, but like just
0: talking about the setup. There's other casting decisions in the first chapter that I was like, oh yeah, that's that's cute. Like that works. Like the rival biker gang is in fact a gang of Animaniacs fans led by Elvira, which is weird because she is part of Animaniacs, but she's also... But no, wait, she's not part of Animaniacs. She's she's what? in El- a spinoff called Pinky El Oh,
1: dang Vira right, that's right. The
2: brain. but she's
0: originally Tiny Tunes, right?
1: Wait, I thought right. it was Elmyra. Yeah, yeah, it's
0: Elmyra, or is it Elvira? Elvira. That's Elmira.
2: No, it's Elmyra but... because she's based on oh, Elmer Fudd.
1: Right, right. Okay.
0: So it's Elmira leading a gang of fans, I see, which I guess is fair because she's not technically part of Animaniacs, who are like chasing down, you know, Pinky and the Brain trying to get autographs, which I thought was really funny because they play it with like the same amount of seriousness as like rival biker gang that wants to maim or kill us. And like, you know, when one of them's backed into a corner, it's like, um, you know, it's like, sign my autograph, you know, Pink the Brain or Pinky or whoever it is. And they're like, no, go away, get away from me. And I thought that was a fun gag. Um, it was, yeah. And also, we're introduced to our first of, you know, like the blue, like psychic kids, which is Wacko being led by Dr. Scratch and Sniff and Hello Nurse. And I thought that was also kind of fun because it plays into those times when Dr. Scratch and Sniff is kind of trying to be a parental figure and like trying to keep him focused on something, which I always kind of liked. And also, it also ties into this idea that the, the Warner siblings are like locked in a tower and not let out of it. And in this case, you know, the people are trying to bust them out like they do the psychic kids in the movie Akira.
2: I, yeah, I agree. I, I like the use of Hello Nurse. Is that, is that the nurse's name? Is it, it Hello Nurse?
1: I, I was going to ask that. Is that something the author invented? No, of- her name is Hello Nurse. Okay, because oh, okay, I always thought it was just the joke where they go, hello, nurse. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it was, but but then that's also,
0: I think, in the end, her name as a character in the series. Yeah, they, they adjusted,
2: adapted to the re- repetition. I mean, it's funny. <laughs> and and Dr. Scratch and Niff was a, a good choice. And I thought, I agreed that, like, I thought the Warner siblings were a good choice. um. But I, a, I have a problem with how they how they went about
0: the Warner Siblings in this oh, fanfic. Yeah. Once we start getting into execution, I'm much less happy with the fanfic. But,
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: hmm Um What I do think is funny is is what happens in this scene, which is instead of um gosh, I forget the, if they even give the kids name and uh, names in Akira, but yeah, instead of, you know, the little boy letting loose his psychic power. Uh, Wacko just has like a giant burp uh, and which shatters the windows, right? Yeah,
0: and so that made me think that the nature of this power, this Akati power that is clearly going to be relevant in this story because it's based on Akira, I thought it was going to be something more tune related And it turns out it's the same psychic powers as Akira. It's like, oh, about giving people mind bullets, you know? And And that's just the thing is that by the time you reach the end of this chapter, and especially when you get to the next one, it becomes clear that they are going to do every scene from the movie Akira, every single scene in the same structure. And reading the first chapter, I thought it was because these were the big iconic things like at the beginning of the movie that everyone remembers that like, of course, we've got to do the explosion. Of course, we've got to do the biker gang chase. Of course, we've got to do this next thing but I thought there was going to be some kind of editorial discretion of cutting some stuff. And there just
1: isn't any. Of course there isn't. Amato, you said this earlier, that they wrote it and they cranked it out and they just, they put it out there. And I think that's a good reason why at first, yeah, it's Wacko's burp. They they let that go. It turns into the same, it's still psychic power. It's not like something, you know, they, they didn't get as creative with it. I think because they were just kind of rushing through it becomes more and more Akira and less and less animaniacs.
2: Yeah, it does. Um but for me there was such a lost opportunity. Like for one thing, they're they're blue-faced kids, right? And it's because they're being basically like poisoned or inhibited or whatever just like in Akira with the kids in in that. Um but like There are so many. Like Animaniacs is all about making gags out of literally everything, and there's all sorts of reasons the Warner siblings might be blue in the face, right? That don't have anything to do with being poisoned. Moreover, the whole the whole like Animaniacs series, the Warner siblings are like like let's be honest, they are karmic trickster gods. Like that's their role, and everyone they interact with or is the focus of their attention kind of reacts to them like they're a scourge <laughs> like nobody wants mm-hmm. to have their attention so he would think that
0: would be enough right like that could like, be the power right that could, the could be the Bugs yeah, exactly. bunny power right it could be like this trickster power that everyone's afraid of sure
2: yeah exactly like and and in animaniacs like there are various other tunes. who also have this power like slappy has like the squirrel has basically can do whatever the heck she wants. Right. Um with tune magic or whatever. Um to to get her to get her way to punish someone for doing something untoward. And you would think that would just be what Pinky would get like the ability to do. Like that's what I would have been more interested in. Instead, like eventually he goes like loses control of this super destructive force. Exactly like Tetsuo, which just is just a strange choice in my opinion, but I guess also like the most normal way to adapt or the like the laziest way to adapt. anyway, no, not criticizing right now, but
0: well, I mean, we can criticize along the way, we don't have to save it for the end.
2: I like yeah. to save it for one gut punch, you know
1: <laughs> store your power, as it were. Yeah. Let it out in one big burp.
0: And so, yeah, because of this casting, because of this faithfulness, I think the two main issues are, one, that it takes longer than it, the fanfic's longer than it should have been. Like, it should have gotten more in there with the gags and gotten out. And the other issue is just that you end up with weird casting situations that they're stuck with. You end up with Hello Nurse as a sort of romantic interest for Brain. yes, Because of... (laughs) The characters they're well, replacing.
1: Yeah, what is that character's name in Akira? The <sighs> oh, I don't uh, know, tough girl, the coolest woman in the whole Akira. But right. I, I was thinking, you know, they, I, it made me realize that Animaniacs suffers from a lack of prominent female characters because <laughs> you've got Dot oh, yeah. being one of the three kids. So then who else? Oh, there's Hell Owners, and there's Elvira. Yeah. The Slappy Squirrel. Well, yeah. But, you know, they're. Slappy Squirrel, but like, yeah, come on, you know, who's going to be that? There's I guess Minerva it's Hello Mink. Nurse. I'm yeah. sure that's
0: a great counter argument.
1: Ooh, good point.
0: There's also Rita yeah. and there's also Buttons. Wait, uh, which one's Buttons? I don't, sure. And of course, there's Katie Kaboom. Right. Right. By the way, the, yeah. M- m- yeah. the female m- character. Mindy is... is the kid, Buttons is the dog.
1: Right. Yes, the female yes. character
0: in Akira
2: is named Kay, by the way.
1: K. How could I forget that? Because <laughs> everyone has a K name? Cause isn't um Tetsuo's Love and Trust also a K name? Anyway, doesn't matter. Ka- Kaori, yeah. Kaori, yeah.
0: I think we just assume that like any character in anime is named either K or Rei. One or the other.
1: hmm mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Abado. I just no, I had it... so much to say about casting Hello Nurse. Like, it it works fine for what they're doing. It's just like so it feels like sort of in a way like disrespectful to the source i don't know
2: well like for me i'm totally fine with hello nurse being in that role based on her connection to dr scratch and sniff sure. Though i wasn't mm-hmm. positive dr scratch and sniff shouldn't have been like the scientist replacement but anyway like my problem is like why would Brain suddenly be super into Hello Nurse? Like, this just right. seemed very out of character.
0: Especially since Billy's also around, and later on, the author kind of remembers that Brain is into Billy. Billy is another lab rat. But, right, I mean, no, casting Hello Nurse as K in, in the K role works fine, like you said, with the scratch and connection. But then you obviously, as a writer, you jettison any kind of romantic, like, dialogue or romantic, like, ish interest dialogue between her and Brain, or you make a gag out of it once and then never speak of it again. And neither of those things happen. It's just kind of played straight and then forgotten about.
1: It's true. And I will say that, in the very least, Hello Nurse gets to do some cool things at this, which is better for Hello Nurse, you know, <laughs> right. being uh, we could talk all day about the problems with that character, you know, in the source. But that's better for Hello Nurse as a character. And they don't forget about her general disposition. She's still in character. She just gets to do cooler things. But for the idea of her being K, that's why I was saying was, like, disrespectful is not the right word, but it's, like, it's, like, taking away K, in a way. Like, taking away one of the prominent, the most prominent um, adult, you're, I guess, 13 years older other than the little girl, the most prominent female character in Akira, who gets to do the most badass stuff and just making that like ads hello nurse, you know? She doesn't get to make a lot of decisions on her own. Brain has to tell her what to do all the time. Like, blah. Speaking,
2: speaking of that, like, I watched, I, I rewatched Akira last night with a friend who had never seen it before. And that friend was so impressed by Kay, not only in like her role in the story, mm-hmm. but also the fact that. Like in my in my my friend's description, like I love that she doesn't look that different from the like the male characters.
1: Yeah, when you first see her on screen, you don't know if she's a woman or not. Like anyway, sorry, go on.
2: (laughs) It seems like like I can imagine a sort of humor where like turning that exactly on its head, you know, and making her like hello nurse as like one of like the three major like played to be a sex symbol in Animaniacs and like how she copes with that. Like I can see that being someone's sense of humor, but it sounds
0: pretty outdated to me. Well, I mean, I think the main thing is just like some of these things, they're just decisions that were made because they're the obvious thing, but they're not particularly funny. And so in the middle of this fanfic, and I, I'm not going to go through it chapter by chapter, I don't think, unless you two want to. I was just like yeah okay we're going along with the plot of plot of Akira. and like sometimes there's funny bits but a lot of the time it's actually not that funny it's kind of just
1: going through the steps of Akira. Yeah yeah I agree which I think is the reason my investment sort of increased the further we went in the story because I was like oh yeah we're hitting, we're getting towards the climax what are they going to do how is this going to shake out you know
2: I felt this this I had a weird like my interest lowered and then increased throughout reading this fanfic, um, because once I got used to the the fact that it was going to be like a carbon copy of Akira just with some swapped characters, like when they started to when the author changed a couple things, I was like way more interested. I was like, oh good, you know, like, okay. This isn't gonna be exactly the same. Like brain and Pinky aren't going to have a fully like antagonistic relationship, even though Pinky has completely changed personalities because he's gotten way more power. Um but there were some still some things throughout it, which I really didn't like. like brain's personality in particular, like i I enjoy brain for a or the brain for a very particular like style and and dialogue and reason like for for very particular reasons and for him to like become so reactive during the story like just sort of like i think of him as a plotter as a conniving like a conniving like active character and starting in chapter two, he's just reacting to every single thing that happens until like the very end where he comes up with a plan. And that that wasn't great for me.
1: You know, it's really interesting that you bring it up, Tara. And yeah, I think we should maybe focus a little bit more on some of the, well, maybe not. The plot is a cure in its own way. But anyway, my main point is, I actually liked Brain's character for the reason that I like a lot of characters is like when they make the character a better person, like his only goal is saving his friend. And it's so sweet. And I completely you're right, but I completely ignored that fact because I was just so enamored with like, oh he really does care. <laughs> and that just might be my very uh, sentimental side.
2: I get that. I get that. If you see it as sort of like sort of the 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 grand catharsis of their relationship and finally like coming into full appreciation of how much they care about each other.
1: I, I could see that. I think it's a great emotional story for that reason. But yeah, I mean, let's talk a little bit more about um, some of the stuff that happens because it's, it's not 100% Akira. And in I fact... Mean, is isn't it though? Well, it's got jokes. It's got frequent jokes at the very least. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Amato.
0: Pinky gets grabbed by a government organization and experimented on... And gains psychic powers and then he mm-hmm. kind of escapes and wanders around and then he gets captured again and you know there's another scene with bikers and there's like I I, I don't there's nothing, it's the plot of Akira, like up You're until right. <laughs> up until the very, very end.
2: There's one okay, so the first major difference in my mind is how yeah. the Warner siblings react to Pinky. Um which seems like a very like common like all universe fic is that rather than being super afraid of him or whatever, they like, they actually plan to trigger him to be way more powerful. I mean, the, I feel like the author walks back from this a little bit because then they try to sort of stop him from doing like to getting a, a Katie they They refer to a, a Katie as a Katie, but they also refer to a Katie as Katie.
0: Well, she was previously <laughs> Katie because I, I when I realized that, like, you know, the the figure at the center of the mythology, the like one with uncontrollable destructive psychic power, was Katie Kaboom, I was like, oh, that's well played. that's that's really funny, mm-hmm. except that that needed I think that really needed to be like a gag that came in really fast. And, For sure, and instead, it's like, oh, you learned that earlier on. It's like, oh, okay, now I know that, and now it's not going to be funny when it happens. Um, right, right.
2: Um, but yeah, the so the Warner siblings basically like slip something into Pinky's food or something to make him go like wilder in power or something like that, and it's it's unclear exactly what they're trying to achieve but I think that does happen, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, they do. And I think Mm -hmm. the Warners in general are fairly fun and proactive and get good jokes when they're on screen. It's just they're on screen approximately as much as the blue-faced kids are in the movie, which is not a lot. Maybe less, actually,
2: but
1: yeah. Except they talk more. They have more jokes. But yeah, you're right. (laughs) Um, Speaking of talking more...
0: Tora, you mentioned later on the one who does the like big exposition dump is Dot, and it was a fun gag that while she's doing that, it says there's like things flashing on the screen about like just go get a sandwich, don't worry about it. Like this is oh, just yeah. dumb, boring exposition. Come back later. Like things like that. Yeah. So about that part is like
2: I believe that there are a lot of people who watched Akira who did not want the exposition and did not care to listen to K explaining to some degree, like, generally what was happening with all the craziness, but I just, it's just not me. Like, I always want, if, if they're not going to show it in any other way, like, I always want someone to tell me, this is what's going on, I'm going to tell you right near the end so that, like, you had a chance to figure it out, but if not, like actually, now that I think about it, maybe I don't like that so much. Like, maybe I prefer everything just be, like, completely open to interpretation, like in um, Serial Experiments Lane or something.
0: <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you in the sense that because, like I said, I think so much of of that movies about the visuals, that, like, it's it's okay for the plot to be kind of interpretive or unclear because I feel like I would have taken away The same takeaways, regardless whether or not there was an exposition dump.
2: I guess I can't really imagine being someone who, if being offered exposition, would like walk away. I guess that's what it would be (laughs) hard for me. Like, it's like, oh, I don't actually care, like, why (laughs) this is happening to Tetsuo at all, or any of the other children that have been the main part of the story, you know.
0: Makes me think of the Evangelion fan experience where, like, you know, you watched through it and then it's like, oh, there's these, like, secret books that were distributed in the Japanese movie releases that give all this background. And like, you read that background and you're like, okay, um, that that's fine, I guess.
2: Yeah. This seemed unnecessary for what I was interested in,
0: but like, cool. okay, so wait, what does that have to do with the Kabbalah again? And it's like, it doesn't, <laughs> but aliens.
1: <laughs> right. Well, that's something though. That's a little bit more like, uh, abstracted right because a lot of the symbolism in Eva was just put there because like Hideaki Otto thought it was cool looking right well look if you think about the psychic powers in in Akira like is
0: there a reason to have the techno organic kind of body horror like I can imagine the body Mm. horror but that specific form it's not that that supports the theme or the you know high whatever you call it high concept like hard sci-fi it's just like oh but that would would look really cool so it's happening
1: good point also um complete tangent but does anyone know if akira was influenced by tetsuo the iron man got to have been right yeah because the main character's name is tetsuo and like the body horror is so the techno organic body horror which was right. like invented by that film anyway just saying
2: and sort of further down the the chain like i watched this for the first time since i really watched evangelion as an adult right and i was like oh this there are parts of this which remind me a lot of what i love about ava like sort of the mysterious like the the pastiche the pastiche of a like secretive scientist organization that like they're not sure what they're working on but it's super super important and they're all, like, power-hungry, but they're not sure what they're power-hungry for and all that.
0: You know, that was a good thought, Tarin. I'm going to derail that thought. Because Histori- I just did a quick Wikipedia. Hetsuo the Iron Man came out in 1989. Uh-huh. I thought it came out before th- I always thought it was older because it's black and white. Um, I mean, that's just the underground sure? production style they were doing, I guess. I could have sworn it was
1: older than Akira, but it's not.
2: I will say that black and white versions of things are almost always better.
1: Crazy! Oh, it's so. I just always thought it was a really old movie. I just didn't know. Huh. Maybe it was influenced by Akira.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, come to think of it, the Akira manga is older than the anime too. Than the movie, so it's like oh, in true, 1980s. true. Isn't that thing way bigger
2: than you would expect from the movie? Isn't the manga like oh yeah?
0: people have described it as being like i think the author of this fanfic describes it as like i don't know maybe somewhere else i've heard the anime called like a commentary on the manga or like you know to understand what's going on really have to read the manga and then you watch the the movie as a fan and you're like oh cool they like animated that or whatever but i understand it's a lot kind of longer and more cohesive of a plot yeah right much like pinky and the brain i suppose (laughs) <laughs> right. You really need to delve deep into that pinky and the Brain lore. Yeah. Just scratching uh, okay. the surface as a casual fan. In
2: in chapter chapter 6, sort of near the end, I just want to point out has my favorite sort of um part of the fic which has absolutely nothing to do with either Animaniacs or Akira. Yes. Um and except except that it involves a satellite and it is mm. just, Wait. I imagine that the author and a lot of other like fanfic or, like writers have a lot of ex- had a lot of experience writing the Satellite of Love. Oh yeah. But for me, that part of this fic really worked.
1: Oh yeah.
0: Oh yeah. So what happens is that when they're calling down a orbital laser strike from a satellite, the government has to call up to the Satellite of Love to do it, and suddenly we have Tom, Mike, and uh, and Crow like, guesting in this scene, where, like, Crow is very excited getting to operate this huge laser that they have attached to satellite that, like, they never use, but the government's asking them to use it to, like, you know, shoot Earth there.
1: It made so much more sense to me when you mentioned that this author had done mst because, yeah, now we have a MST-3K cameo. But how that shakes out is that Crow and Pinky are email buddies, <laughs> so Pinky's able to convince Crow to shoot the laser, um where he wants it to go which i forget is where yeah it was very clever that that's
0: accomplished by by like a relationship between pinky and crow rather than by psychic powers i yes. that was very clever tar and that was the kind of thing they needed more of and you know i thought the crow characterization of just being very excited to get a, getting to fire a laser and not really caring where was fairly on point except you know except in the sense that it plays into the, like the big laser explosion psychic action stuff that's going on in this fanfic that really does not fit either Animaniacs or MST3K.
2: That's true. That's definitely true. Um, but in in that same chapter, there's also like Tori mentioned earlier, Brain wanting to take over the world instead of Pinky, like that. That's oh, all. the other too.
0: way around, right? Pinky who is I'm, now all powerful. Most well, they both the they is. both
2: want to and brain oh, right. brain's like, I'm the one who's gonna take over the world which also conflicts slightly with everything else Pinky or Brain says in this in this in the latter two thirds of this fanfic because he's just so worried about Pinky all, or yeah, Pinky all the time.
1: To clarify, I think what's kind of funny is that it's not even that Pinky necessarily wants to take over the world. He's just like consumed by this power, he doesn't even necessarily know how to direct it a lot of the time. But the main joke is that brain understanding that Pinky is going to take over the world has a really hard time going, oh, but I have to stop it from taking over the world? That's not what I do. Or Pinky's going to take over the world? That's what I do. Like, that's the main (laughs) joke. And I think it's a bit funny. It's also, you know, because he struggles with it, but it's also a little bit like, yeah, it's, I don't know. I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> I mean, and and
2: that like making fun of Pinky's heel turn, right? like that's what I wanted, and it did not, that's also what made the satellite of love, like we already mentioned, like Pinky and Crow have this email relationship or whatever, and so the fact that Pinky just seems to be randomly controlled by this power and to wanting to take over the world, but then suddenly we cut away to like, oh, the reason that this satellite is. Doing the same thing it does in Akira, which is blow things up, is is has nothing to do with Pinky, like Pinky's crazedness, right? It's just, or you know, tangentially, is
0: I, I like that a lot. And um, yeah, we get we get odd, you know, emotional moments at the end too. Like we get flashback to Pinky and the Brain meeting and Katie Kaboom as a child, like. Um, right. mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I, I feel like the tone, tonally, it's a little bit scattershot. Well,
1: this is after we get our exposition dump from Dot, right, which right. I will say there is a funny part about that, which is she hands, you know, in the chaos of things early on, she hands Brain an IOU for, it's like an exposition, you know, info dump IOU. And she follows through, as the scene we're talking about where, you know, the subtitles are like, go get yourself a sandwich. I can't believe this is still going on. Um, and it's not a bad explanation. It's just like, how do I put it? It's like, um, yeah, it's the interesting part of this is that now it's very in-universe for animaniacs. Like, this is happening decades later. And, Yakko, Wacko, and Dot have been locked in the tower, like, assuming, like, after the end of the Animaniacs show. And all of this has happened in the Animaniacs world to them because they're trying to exploit the power of tunes, you know, quote-unquote. So these experiments started happening. So, like, if you take the Animaniacs world and extrapolate it a few decades later, now we're in the Kira plot. So instead of it being, like, a sketch, right where everybody's just playing a role. This is, like, real for their worlds, which is hard to explain, but... You know, that's how it's presented. Right? Like, as
0: opposed yeah. to, like, the actual Animaniacs movie, which was, what was it? Wacko's Wish? Um mm-hmm. And that was absolutely... And I don't think that was theatrical, but, like, you know, the, whatever. It was a longer thing, whatever. And that was absolutely just like, oh, we're casting the characters in these roles, and they kind of have similar, you know, issues or or goals, but it's just in a new world or whatever. And you're right. This yeah. is not that. It's supposed to be like after the Animaniacs show ended, which is also weird. Because then I guess like Pinky and the Brain have just been doing their thing for a couple decades. I, I mean, I guess that's not that weird. Um, a little weird. A little weird, maybe.
1: Yeah. It.
2: I mean, the fanfic also indicates that Pinky and the Brain might be connected to Three Mile Island which indicates they're older than I thought they were, too, so maybe...
0: But anyway... They're intelligent yeah. and immortal. Yeah, I mean, that would be fine, I guess. The, the time
2: thing also works because the Animaniacs, like the Warner Brothers, like it's implied that they've been around since the 30s, so they're also... Oh, yeah. yeah. Yakko-Wakko,
0: Dot. Right. absolutely. It's just that it's not usually presented as a Roger Rabbit sort of world where there's, like, there's tunes and there's ordinary people and they operate by totally different right. rules. And the tunes are immortal. I mean, that's absolutely what's going on with Yakko, Wacko, and Dot. But it's not presented that that's what's going on with Pinky and the Brain. Pinky and the Brain are not cartoons. Pinky and the Brain are lab mice, right? Is kind of the, the way things are usually presented to one.
1: There's some weirdness there, too, because, you know, Katie. Um you know, where the powers come from, she is quote unquote a tune, but they describe at one point that she is more yes. humanoid, which makes me question, is she a tune because she can transform or is Mr. Director also a tune because he is a cartoon, he's just yes, a humanoid right. cartoon.
0: That's the problem with that distinction. They're like, yes, Katie Kaboom, maybe her power was like uncontrollable because she's so close to being human, but it's like, but every character here like hello, nurse is a drawn person. Doctor Scratch and Sniff is a drawn person. It's not Roger Rabbit.
2: Okay, okay. Quick theory um, based on my recent rewatching of Animaniacs. I think you could argue that the characters in Animaniacs, which are actual people and not tunes, are the ones that are drawn as caricatures. Right. Okay. Like because that seems to be fair, like fairly standard for the humans that are not. Really, characters in the show is they're drawn in a very caricature style, and then like all the celebrities, for example. Whereas, like the president of Warner Brother is it Warner Brothers? I don't know. Like some of the human characters, including like the the I forget the girl with the dog or whatever. Like um, they are Mindy. They are yeah Mindy, yeah yeah. Um, they are drawn more like cartoons. Is that, how much water does that hold to you?
1: It, to me, it doesn't hold up because we're still coming back to Katie right. being humanoid, but a tune. And like, until Katie transforms, she's one of the more human looking characters, right? Is that some, similar to what you were going to say, Amato?
0: Yeah, basically. It's like saying, you know, Yakko, Wakko and Dot tunes, Dr. Scratch and SIF is not a tune. Fine. But then when you get to, oh, Katie Kaboom is a
1: tune, but Hello Nurse is not a tune. that's when it gets weird. Yeah, yeah. well, and also, you know, like, the the squirrels and dogs and everybody else, like, and the mice, even, sure. you know, like, it's, yeah, it's, I don't know. But, but I do want to stress that
0: just, you know, despite all the setup that's necessary, despite the execution not being great, Just the payoff of having Katie Kaboom reconstituted, surrounded by anime power waves, getting ready to destroy the city, you know, in an Akira context, saying I'm allowed to be irrational, I'm a teenager,
1: it is fundamentally pretty funny. It is. Oh, and one more thing. So in that, we, okay, so eventually, right, Brain has to enter the, Thought space of Pinky and the Akkadi power, which is also Katie's thought space, and right. go back to both of their pasts. And there's this very sweet moment where he sees Pinky arriving in the lab for the first time, and Brain was very kind to him, like, I'll show you around. And Brain reflects, Oh, that's what it was like for you, Pinky. So adorable. But then he <laughs> also sees Katie's past, and she's being, you know, eight years old. Taken out of a van, saying goodbye to her family and put through these experiments at the Warner Tower. And before that, there's some implication, right? They say, like, before that, she's just being a normal girl. It's only after these weird injections that she starts becoming a monster when she gets upset. So that's my weird like disconnect with if the part of her that's a tune is the part that turns into a monster then she wasn't attuned to begin with. She was only attuned after the experiments. Okay, sorry, I'm going to stop obsessing about this. Yeah, it, it, we we can't go down that rabbit hole too far.
0: I did think it was cute in the Pinky and the Brain meeting scene where Brain asks Pinky, so what are you, like, are you doing anything tonight, basically? Like, what are your plans tonight? And Pinky's like, oh, no no plans, why? And <laughs> I don't know, that was, a, that was a fun lead-in to their, like, catchphrase thing.
2: Yeah, no, I like that. Um, I actually thought the whole ending chapter was relatively strong. Uh, I thought, uh, like, the Katie stuff I thought was good, except I didn't really understand when she got really into Pinky. Like, I. Uh, yeah, that was weird. That was yeah. kind of strange.
0: Um, it was super weird. She
1: mistook him for a human, was the implication.
0: H- how? Why? Yeah, and thinks, oh, he's so hot. And that, like, distracts her. It should have been Chicken Boo. She should have fallen for Chicken Boo as That's being yeah. a very attractive human male.
2: <laughs> yeah. Just gonna um, keep coming back to that. And I love the Scrappy part too. Like Yeah, um, we
0: bookend on Scrappy being the narrator, which is great, and I love Scrappy. I feel like when she showed up in the middle of the story, it was kind of unnecessary. But being there at the beginning at, at the end, and the callback to how like she, you know, she only got cast for the tiny narration part of the beginning and was upset at her agent, and then at the end she's basically like, you know, tied up the director in order to get back into the, you know into the script again and make another appearance and gets to close on. And that's comedy. And like, I thought it, it was good.
2: And she, and she saves everybody. Right. Because like, they're like, Oh no, what do we do? And then she just oh, yeah. sort of like turns off, like <laughs> yeah. unplugs Oh, that was the great. Special effects. But, yeah. yeah. she un- and then-
0: uh, Which is of course, like it's plugged in, like the huge sphere of like psychic destruction is plugged into a little outlet with a three prong adapter and she goes in and unplugs it. And yes, yeah, so that's how problems should be solved. Both by Slappy Squirrel in general and, uh, I mean, Slappy Squirrel specifically and by people in general. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I, uh, I love Deus Ex. Like, I generally hate Deus Ex Machina, but in Animaniacs in particular, as, as, like as, as is for me, it's the only one, maybe not the only one, but the best example of I want this to end for a silly reason that has absolutely no buildup. Like that's, that's pretty cool for me.
1: I think that is what's sort of charming about Animaniacs is we've talked about how humor is mostly subverting expectations. Well, Animaniacs uh, doubles down on it, backs up and reverses it. It's like, if you're, you're expecting to watch something that's funny. So you expect to subvert expectations, but when the expectations are Done exactly as you you know, you know the trope would be. It's funny because you don't expect that in this sort of humor if that makes sense, all right. And I think we're at the end of the
0: fanfic. I think we can do our closing thoughts. and we usually end on complaints, and we've been back around this material like up and down, you know, over the course of this conversation. So I'm just going to say the thing that I did not like about this fanfic that I think could have been done better. Is that it was way too invested in hitting every single scene in Akida. That's my comment, I'm done.
2: I'll do a short comment as well. Um I wanted as soon as a Katie, like as soon as it was made known to the reader why it was called a Katie, I wanted a Katie to be a space katie. I just wanted wow. it to be written that way. In the fanfic. I thought that would have been really funny. And instead, it wasn't. And that's it. That's my problem with the fic. That's my only problem. The only problem.
1: <laughs> well, you know, other than the things I mentioned before, you know, needs an editing pass. Um, I guess if I had to pick one, I'd say that this fanfic didn't stay on mission. Mm-hmm. I know we kind of talked about that before, but at first, I really thought it was going to be more of the tonal like jokes and even more of a juxtaposition of the Animaniacs world with you know Akira, which is a very dark, serious, sort of traumatizing thing. Instead it turns around and it gets very sweet and wholesome. And and I like sweet and wholesome, which means I didn't dislike this. It just I don't know. It was inconsistent, I guess. I wish they would have picked one. They ended on a different note than they started on, is what I'm trying to say.
0: And if that's leading into our praise, story, like, I totally agree. And I would say my favorite thing about this fanfic is chapter one. I thought, like, it it had a pretty good balance. I mean, you know, it, it probably could have been edited down a little bit more still, but like, it had a good balance of taking things from Akira and like, warping them into weird, like, less violent, more animaniacs-y gags things and I really enjoyed it. And it's only later on when we got, like, you know, Pinky walking through a building getting shot by, like, you know, military with lasers and I was like, this this is just Akira. Uh, but chapter one, I I really enjoyed, and I wish he could have, like, kept more in that zone.
2: Yeah, I also, um, speaking of chapter one, I felt like a lot of the slapstick writing was really on point. Like, I could really visualize in, in a very anime Animaniacs fashion, like, what what the ga- visual gags were. Um and then they, you know, the author went on like drew away from that and went more towards just straight Akira, but I like that as well. Um another thing I liked I was dubious uh when I realized that uh Pinky and the brain would stand in for Tatsu and Kaneda because I, I just didn't I didn't see their relationship I saw it as like the opposite of that relationship. Um, but the author kind of brought me around, um, basically by not, by not forcing, um, them to be like rivals and like polar opposites. Um, like, like Tori was saying, like brain being just sort of more worried about, um, Pinky than like, Haneda's revenge plot against Tetsuo, um, I, I like that a lot. I-, I like that it worked, I should say, to some degree. I guess I also liked that it made me really want to watch Animaniacs <laughs> and Akira again. Like, I-, I think that's anything that makes me either want to watch the source material or um or write my own fic, like, is is a good sign for me.
1: Yeah. You know, that's a really good way to put it. It's like, they did have enough of both sources that like, mostly was the plot of Akira, whereas more like the jokes and sort of characters and tone of Animaniacs. But it was all, you know, they 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 remembered the plot, which is more that we can say for ourselves most of the time, right? Oh, yeah. Um, in a time where you couldn't just stream things on the internet. They had all those details in there. And they also had these jokes from Animaniacs that really, they didn't work all the time, but they worked enough and there was enough consistency. Like, um, I don't know. I kind of like, um, there's one point where like brain is trying to figure out the brain, brain, the brain, whatever. <laughs> He's I trying think to I figure don't. out. Yeah. <laughs> He's trying to figure out the chemical structure of the compound that they gave pinky to, you know, Bring out the uh, Katie Power or whatever. Um, and Hello Nurse is like, huh, you can do that without lab equipment? And it goes, brain, without a pause, a unique ability of mine. <laughs> and it's just like nobody can do that. And they're calling attention to it. But it's just that sort of like one-off. And those happen all the time and they're all over the place. Like, even though even though I don't normally find like uh burping funny, the wacko burp because it is wacko and he burps and it's representing this telekinetic power is funny to me. It's like they, they did a lot of work to unify these sorts of disparate things. That was yeah. fun. Yeah, for sure.
2: And in your point about the era, like it's hard for me to keep in mind that probably like for people who didn't have ready access to a cure or whatever, like one of the benefits of reading a thick like this is, like even if it's shot for shot like you're you it helps you remember the actual movie or whatever and i guess there's value mm-hmm. there's value in that even if it you know maybe distorts your memory of the source
0: material i mean yeah it's a strange thing to say that like oh well you can't see akira so you may as well read this animaniac's fusion with it but it, it definitely <laughs> did happen with me that like i remembered you know, very specific things from the movie, like I said before yeah, reading this, and yeah. as I was reading, it, I was like, "Oh yeah, that happens," and then this happens, and then that happens, and like it's all coming back to me. Yeah, which was definitely an interesting phenomenon there. Yeah, it was a really good plot summary. So weird thing to say, but it was. So here's my question: We got this off of a rec list. Would you recommend this fanfic? Uh, no. Nope. To certain people. <laughs> to certain no. People. <laughs> Sorry you say no.
2: I said no. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I don't know. I think I'm I think I'm with you. It's like I I think there's just other things one could be reading. Sorry, I, I, sorry, author. How
2: about, how about this? I would recommend this to someone like a reader in nineteen ninety six.
0: That's true. And not just because I was younger in nineteen ninety six, but because the pickings, you know, it was a smaller pond back then. Yeah.
1: I'm still going to go with, I would recommend this to certain people, like people who really love Animaniacs or like, I don't know, really like these sorts of fusions because for what it was trying to accomplish, I think it did a pretty good job. Like it's a weird concept, but (laughs) it's not not exactly like CSI Charlie and Chocolate Factory, which I thought I wasn't going to enjoy and loved despite the crossover. This is more like, if you want this crossover, this is the fic you should read. <laughs>
2: You've sort of changed my mind. Um, I would recommend this to someone who likes one of them and has sworn they will never like watch the other one. Like I would I would probably be like, "All right, get a taste then." It's not you know pure uncut stuff, but it's, you know, it's a little taste. <laughs>
0: Wow. (laughs) Would you be hanging out with somebody who loved Akira and swore never to watch Animaniacs, Tarin? Um I'm asking the hard questions here.
1: Well apparently Tarin is like some sort of like fanfic drug dealer, so (laughs)
0: Look,
2: it's normal where I'm from. I think that's me. (laughs) Yeah, Amato was my, you know higher up
1: what does that make me i don't <laughs> I have,
2: have an answer to your question amato
1: <laughs> all
0: right well you can come back with that that can be your next homework thanks for joining us as always for you know these weird weird assignments that i give our guests in general and you, Tarin, in particular <laughs> when coming on this show i think we're going to wrap it up there um This was episode 134 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective. A Katie by... Hey, either of you have that up. What's the author of this fanfic?
1: Michael K.
0: Yep. Thank you. Uh, And now I have it too. Michael uh, released in 1996, somewhere on the internet, and available still through the magic of the Wayback Machine, which I'll provide links for on the show notes. The intro song of the podcast is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find that album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. Our podcast is edited by Della Davis, who is apparently ever acquiring more and better filters to make our voices come through loud and clear so you can hear us talk about old fanfiction. Uh, speaking of which, if you want to hear more of that, you can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. And if you've got questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, you can contact us on Twitter at Retrofanfic, Facebook at Retrofanfic, send us an email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com, or leave a comment or review on your podcast service. I'm Amato. I'm Tori. Inky and the brainy. I'm Tarin. We're just three Earth life forms trying to be nice to each other. Until next time, take care. Should we do a Wheel of Morality too? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't actually have a wheel or a lesson or a gag in mind, so maybe we'll skip it. Gold, gold content there.